0: Good morning. This is... Oh, I left my glasses up here from yesterday. That's nice. I was wondering where they were. Right here. Look at that. I can see. Uh, this is the first time I have ever preached in front of this pulpit, and I can already tell you I don't feel manly enough. Um... I tried. Like I, I kind of dress like the brawny man today. I got the beard. I got the flannel. I got the jeans. I'm like, I'm going to make it so that I feel manly enough to preach behind this pulpit. It didn't work, and I'm just kind of look at it now. Um, so last week, last week we ended up in a in a pretty positive place um, in our. Walk through the book of 1 Corinthians and, and we should be excited. We should be excited to keep off, the, or to keep going through the book because where Pastor Chris left off at the end of verse, or chapter 2, verse 16, uh, we should want to know what comes next. It was a really interesting portion for us to put a pin in and say, see you next week. My guess is that for the church in Corinth, they would not have stopped at that verse and just like hey guys let's go to lunch you guys just want to you want to take a break maybe come out this next week i mean they just read about this new reality because of their faith in Christ they just read about how they are a spiritual people Unlike that of, of the unbelieving world that to them has been revealed the mysteries of God. And because of the Holy Spirit inside of them, they now see things. They now understand things that the rest of the watching world doesn't. And not only that, but but they have the mind of Christ, the actual mind of Christ. So how they look at the world, how they view their lives, how they view the circumstances that they're going through, this is through the mind of Christ. I mean, can you imagine that? What Paul has revealed to them. I mean, I would be giddy to read chapter 3. At this point, I would be looking at the letter. I'd be looking at how much of it I read, and I'd be like, guys, we still have like... This much of the letter to go. Like, can you imagine if it's this good right now? Can you imagine what comes next? Whew. So we're gonna read chapter three today and we're gonna see what comes next. But before we do, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much. For 1 Corinthians chapter 2, thank you for awakening us to the realities of what life in the Spirit looks like. Thank you for reminding us that we are a spiritual people, that you have revealed to us through the power of your Spirit mysteries that are hidden to the spiritually blind, to those who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior, to those who have not been filled with the promise of your Holy Spirit. We have Because of Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Because of your spirit, we have the ability to understand spiritual things. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work today in this place that only you could do. That you would open the eyes of those whose eyes have been shut. That you would open the ears of those whose ears have been blocked. That you would soften hearts that have been hardened to the truth of who you are as you've revealed yourself to be. And that us as individuals and us corporately as a church would look different as we stare at the truth of Your Word, God. We need You, we need Your Spirit. Left to of our left to of ourselves, Lord, we will produce something that is so far from You, so far from Your truth. God, may we, may we walk in the in the beauty of who You are and what it means to be called by You as Your children. We pray this together in Jesus' name, Amen. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll just take a look at, at, at verses 1 and 2. Again, we've had a week between 2.16 and 3 verse 1. So let's try and take ourselves back to that awesome place. I know I can't be as excited as Chris. Let's be honest, he's one of the most exciting people when he's excited. Can you believe that? This is great! Like, I can't do that. I can't get up to that level. But he left us in a very, you, you left me excited. So here we go, 2.16, we're excited, we're spiritual people, we have the spiritual realities that have been revealed to us, we have the mind of Christ, let's read on! Verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, Not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now, you are not ready for it. Again, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to bring us back to that place of excitement to last week. I realize that the punch in the gut probably isn't as swift to us as it was to them as they're reading through this letter, but Paul is pointing out. A really hard truth that they're having to grapple with right now. One thing that I want you to notice, he is not calling to question their salvation. He is still referring to them, as he did at the start of this letter, as brothers. But he is drawing to mind the reality that there is a problem There is a problem that needs to be addressed before he can go any further. And this change in tune is one that carries out through the remainder of 1 Corinthians. This change in tune is one where Paul is going to go through issue by issue by issue by issue and say, guys, we got to talk. Because yes, you are my brother, but you are not living as my brother. So while the salvation of the Corinthians remains secure, Paul points out that their spiritual lives were starving. Here here Paul says, instead of addressing you as spiritual people, these people that we just described in chapter 2, these these spiritual people who who see these spiritual realities that have been revealed to them by God's Spirit, a, a people with the mind of Christ, I'm unable to do that. And instead, I have to address you as people of the flesh as infants in Christ, still dependent upon spiritual milk, unable to digest anything more than the most basic truths of the faith. Now, you may hear that and think, man, Paul, take it easy. I mean, you're really kind of coming down hard on the church in Corinth here. Like, is there. Like, is there a lighter way you could have approached that? Like, hey, guys, we're all brothers, but uh, come here, we got this little thing over here that we got to talk about. You need to understand Paul is addressing a people that he personally went to and lived with for a year and a half. So he's got investment here, right? These are, this is a church that, that he poured into. And when he left, he left them in the best possible place, right? Shortly after he left, Apollos came in. And not only that, but it says back in chapter one, verse 12, uh, that there are people who are, who are claiming the, the teachings of Peter as well. And not only that, but some of them even say, well, you know what, we, we follow Jesus. We've got to sit underneath the teachings of Jesus. And so this church has had every advantage, and yet they have failed to take advantage of it up to this point. They have had amazing teaching. They have had the, the authors of Scripture pouring into them personally. Some of them have sat underneath the teachings of Christ Himself, and yet... When Paul addresses them today, he doesn't address them as, as as men and women who have grown up in the faith, but as spiritual babies. Now we love babies. Some of you don't, I pray for you, but I love a good baby. Love a good baby, especially if it's my baby. I got, I got the joy last night of being able to, uh, hang out with Lucy Maria. It was just me and her for her, uh, for her first birthday last night. We were just hanging out, we were playing on the ground, and she is just such a cute baby. Those of you who work with her in the nursery where, <laughs> I, I know there's some of you in here who work with her in the nursery, you're like, she's actually not a cute baby, she cries the entire time. For you. But for me, she's a very cute baby, and she never cries, and it's great. And so, we're playing on the ground and she's doing that whole grunt wrestle thing and she's like crawling over to me and like tackling me. It's just this cute moment. I'm like, man, babies are the best. You know when babies aren't the best, though? When they're 35. <laughs> I mean, take everything that Lucy is, take everything that Lucy does, take everything that I look at, I'm like, oh, look at her. She smushes up her cupcake on her birthday. Not cute when you're 35. Oh, look at her crawling on the ground and she just kind of fell over on her face. Not cute when you're 35. Right? And this is the picture that Paul gives here. You, you are alive in Christ. You are, you are alive from a standpoint that your salvation is secure, but you are spiritually weak. You are spiritual infants. You should be walking, you should be running, you should be teaching, you should be thriving. And yet while you are spiritually alive, you are suffering from spiritual failure to thrive. And so if we want to take a look at Paul's tone, I think it's more than justified from somebody who has spent so much time pouring into this people. So much time desiring to see them run after the things of Jesus And yet here he is addressing them in the most basic things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, saying, guys, what happened? Guys, what happened? You're my brothers, but you're babies. So that's what we see here. And how could Paul make such a judgment call about their spiritual lives? He simply had to look at the fruit that their lives were producing. And we see that in verses 3 through 4. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So here we say that, though the Corinthians were spiritually alive through their faith in Christ, their spiritual lives were producing dead fruit. Here Paul says, you are still of the flesh. Again, not in the sense that their salvation was in question, but in the sense that their lives failed to reflect the faith that they had been called to. Their actions, their attitudes, their motivation, their treatment of one another, their division as a body. All of these things did not reflect Christ, but instead, it actually resembled somebody who didn't know Christ at all. That's what he means when he calls them still of the flesh. It's that part of us that's still alive in us after we come to Christ that we are called to deny, that we are called to put to death. And what he's saying is that the flesh in you is alive and well. And if I am looking for uh, fruit in your lives, I see fruit of the flesh, not fruit of the Spirit. I see a reflection of that dead self who we are called to put to death on a daily basis and not the spiritual self of which we are called to feed on a daily basis and while there was still grace for their sin because of their faith in Christ their growth as a follower of Christ was greatly hindered as they remained in their sin in short they had saving faith but they failed to live it out which is not the faith that they had received from Paul we know this because as we see in Colossians 2 verses 6-7 through 7, Paul says therefore to the church in Colossae therefore, therefore as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him So you've received this truth of the gospel. You've received this truth about who Jesus is, what he did for you, the life he lived that was perfect for you, the death that he died which was in your place, the resurrection that took place to ensure your eternal hope. You have received this. You have believed this. You have made it your own. Now, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Live in this truth. Allow this truth to bleed down into every part of who you are and how you live. Don't just receive this and believe it like, yes, I know, I I, I know, Jesus died for me, that's great, now I'm going to go live my life. No, because of what Jesus did for you, because of the faith that you have received, walk in it. Allow it to be the filter through which everything else in your life, everything that you are about who you are and how you live, goes through so as you have received christ jesus the lord so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving this is the gospel that paul brought with him to corinth this is the gospel that the church in corinth was founded upon And so when Paul comes to call in a few years later and writes this letter, he is not writing to say, why aren't you guys believing in the gospel? He's saying, why are you guys not living in light of the gospel? What happened? What happened? You are a spiritual people who are living as spiritually dead. And your fruit, your fruit is following suit. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. In Romans 6.18 when he says, We have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Or in Romans 12.1 where he calls us to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, as our spiritual worship. And yet for the Corinthians, their faith that they had received had yet to become realized in their lives. And as a result, it was a malnourished faith, producing little to no earthly fruit. And then he gives some very specific examples of the fruit. And I know sometimes it's easy for us um, to get lost in this part of the text because their specific fruit doesn't necessarily specifically apply to us and it feels a little weird. But let's not lose sight of what's really happening and what Paul is really calling out here, okay? So he gives the specific examples. He says, you display your flesh in your jealousy of one another. You display your flesh in your strife towards one another. And you display your flesh in your division from one another. Specifically, he brings up again this issue in chapter 1 about the, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. I fo-. Again, this, this makes its way back, right? So Paul's kind of circling back here. And um, they had allowed very men who had led them to Christ to become their reason for division within the church. And it's kind of hard for us to, to think of of how that might happen. Actually, you know, it, it might actually not be that hard for us. Anyway, um, <clears throat> we won't go to there. Uh, but it may be kind of hard for us to imagine a congregation where it's like, hey, this is the... This is the Chris section over here, clearly because 95% of it is his family that he's either a part of or married into. A lot of ties over here, so we'll call this the Chris section. And then and then we go, oh, we got Steven, man. Some of you guys were in his youth group, and you just, you love and it. It kind of bleeds into over here. You guys were really in his youth group. And then back in the sound booth, we have uh, the Matt section, the director. Hey, guys, all three of you back there. Just kidding. Uh, but I'd say like it would be weird to come in here and imagine like like this group of people saying, Hey, you know what? I've got Sunday morning because, you know, Paul, the guy who came here and, you know, started this whole thing, um, you know, he baptized us. And so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of take care of the worship and the teaching. What? Well, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Apollos ran that guy out of town. He was so much more talented than Paul. Paul came here and was just preaching this simple gospel. And then Apollos came in and really flashed it up. So, you know what we should handle? Say, so, hey, you ever hear about the rock that they built the church upon? Yeah, his name is Peter. And uh, we got baptized. But, yeah, I'm Jesus. Okay? We followed Jesus. So I think we'll take the Sunday morning service. Like, this is the kind of thing that's happening in the church in Corinth right now. And as a result, you've got this side that can't stand this side and this side, wish this side would just go take a hike. And you got all of this division, all of this strife, all of this jealousy, and it's being lived out as we'll see over the course of the next few chapters to the point where we have lawsuits against believers to the point where there is like no disregard or no regard for one another in the taking of the Lord's supper, where spiritual gifts are being used to edify ourselves and our groups rather than to edify the body. Everything that they're doing, everything as a church is rooted in this this fleshiness, this sinfulness. And yet, keep in mind, they were still able to do church. Isn't that crazy? They still gathered. They still taught the Word of God. They still had the Lord's Supper. They still exercised spiritual gifts. They were still... A church. My son Judah is very cute. I don't know if any of you had the pleasure of looking over at him today when he was on my lap. You should have been worshiping. But I get it because he's so cute. He draws your eyes. Very cute. And uh, Judah is uh, learning his alphabet right now. Judah's about to turn five, and uh, he didn't get all of the one-on-one attention that Jacob got. And so we're, we're working. We're trying to catch up with him. You know, hey, these are the letters. These are the sounds and all of that jazz. And so we're getting there with him. And uh, so when you sit down to try and read with Judah, it becomes very clear. He doesn't know a lick about reading. I mean, you can sit down with him. It can be hop on pop. I mean, just simple. Uh, Three-letter words. Judah, what's that word? Truck? No, it's it's I, you know, like, Judo, you know, what, what's that word? <laughs> dinosaur? It's pop. I don't, it's not that hard, but yeah, I, I guess it's dinosaur too. Um, and yet it's amazing, when we sit down and we read Goodnight Moon, or when we sit down and we read Corduroy, Books that we have read already, the parents are like, oh yeah, I know, I thought my kid was genius, and then I realized they weren't, I just switched books, right? These books, these books that they have read over and over and over, and over to the point when they bring them to you, you're like, can we just do another book? Like. I get Like, I don't even need to open up goodnight, moon. I get it. Goodnight, brush. Goodnight, mosh. Goodnight, nobody. Goodnight, hush. Good okay, whatever. Like, bears, chairs. We get it. But he wants to read it. And it's amazing when you open it up and you're like, what does this say? It says, goodnight, room. Yeah. What does that say? Goodnight, moon. Goodnight, cows jumping over the moon. Goodnight, three bears. Goodnight, chairs. And you're just like, oh, my kid. My kid knows how to read. Does he? No. No, trust me, he doesn't. What he knows how to do is to mimic mommy and daddy. He's heard us read so many times these two books that he can now kind of read them back to us. And yet, if you really listen, if you get to the long lines, especially in Corduroy, you realize, wait, he kind of knows what it says. He kind of knows what the words are, but not really. Really? Judah is to reading what Corinth was to church. They had seen some amazing teachers come through. They had seen some amazing men of the faith. They had learned under the best of the best, who we still read today. The inspired authors of Scripture have founded and poured into their community year after year after year after year. And they were pulling off church In the same way that Judah pulls off reading Good Night Moon. He saw it happening. He heard the words. He memorized it. And he can get the gist. And in the same way we see a church playing church without the fruit of what the true church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, should be producing. Because when you listened when you really listened to who they were and how they were living, when you just poked at a few things or pulled back a couple of layers, what was revealed was fruit that was rooted in flesh. Fruit that was rooted in sin. And so before Paul goes anymore to talk to the spiritual man, he needs to talk to a fleshy people and say, Guys, we need to address this. Because this is not reflective of this. This does not reflect the new life in Christ. The mind of Christ. The spiritual man who uncovers the spiritual realities of God and lives in light of them. This reflects you. This reflects who you were. This reflects who you used to be and how you used to live. And you may look like a church. You might even smell like a church to an outsider. But you do not reflect the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And how you do church... And in how you treat one another. I have no idea where I am in my notes now. Let's just go to verses five through nine. Feels like a good place to be. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he nor he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. That verse 9, Stephen's really going to unpack the meaning behind this and, and, and how it plays into the next part of, of, of Corinthians next week. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but here Paul really gets into the solution of a lot of the issues that we see within the Corinthian church. Both here, the one that he addresses with this division and this jealousy and this strife, and also the ones that that carry on into other issues that we're going to see pop up into the church. And the solution that Paul presents is stop looking at life with your human eyes and start looking using your spiritual eyes. In short, what Paul says is your heroes of the faith you identify with are merely tools in the Father's hand. He's giving them context. He's he's helping them to see this issue. He's pulling back the layers of this issue and saying, guys, if you were to just look through this through spiritual eyes, you would see this differently. You would approach this differently. So he says, "Your, your heroes of the faith that you identify with are merely tools in the Father's hand. The brothers you are constantly quarreling with are also merely tools in the Father's hand. And you, you who you are working so hard to elevate, so hard to show how you're superior, Show so hard to present yourself superior to your brothers and your sisters. You are merely a tool in the Father's hand. You heard the Gospel because they did the work God gave them to do. And you are all one in Christ called to do the work that He has called you to do. Not for the purposes of showing who is superior or inferior. And certainly not for the purposes of creating a culture of competition and division, but instead as an act of worshipful obedience to the God who does all of the work and deserves all of the credit. That's really what he's showing here, right? You sit here and you're saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Can we break this down to what you're really saying? This focus on man, this edification, or this, this, this emphasis on man. You're totally missing the point, which is God and who he is and what he's doing and what he's wanting to do in and through you as a body and individually. And so while you're sitting here squabbling over who you're following, you're missing the point, which is the one you are truly called to follow. Amen. So stop looking at life through human eyes. And instead, start looking at them as a spiritual man. Understanding the things of God that are far above this thing that's going on in your church. We see the start of uh, Paul's attempts to course correct here. Um, and we'll see that again as as, as Stephen flushes the dial a little bit more next week. But... Um, Paul's point is clear: get your focus back where it belongs. And we see this again, a similar message in Colossians chapter three verses one through two, where Paul says, "If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, uh, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the earth." In other words, if you've placed your faith in Christ and you have been raised again to walk in in the newness of life that, that He provides you, there's a different economy that you're operating in. You have been awakened to a world that is different from the one you have been raised from. You once were dead, walking, talking, acting like the dead, acting as those who only have a hope in this life. And so the things that they run after... The kingdoms that they build up, the riches that they try to acquire, the the possessions, the positions, everything that they do and everything that they operate is in worship of themselves and in blindness to the one who is due all of our worship, honor, and praise. And what we see here in Corinth, what we see here in Colossae, is Paul saying, Guys, look up. Look up. You know the truth of what Christ did for you, and that's great. You are my brothers because of that, but look up. Stop now like, like denying how the reality of this truth impacts your life here today. Stop denying how the reality of the gospel plays itself out in every situation that you encounter in your life here on earth. Stop acting like your only act of spiritual worship was placing your faith in the death of Jesus. But instead, the faith that you have received, walk in. Live in it. What does what Jesus did for you mean for your job? What does what Jesus did for you mean in light of your role as a mom? What does Jesus and His work on the cross mean for you in light of who you're called to be as a son or as a student? What does it mean in light of who you are called to be to the world around you? What does it mean in light of how you are called to relate to one another and love one another as the body of Christ? Paul is begging the people, look up. Just in this one issue, if you were to look at God as the as the waterer, as God, as the worker, as God as the one who is doing everything, then you would be forced to take your eyes off of yourself. To take your eyes off of man, to take your eyes off of your issues with one another, and instead to stare intently on the face of the one who you serve, and to respond to the lifestyle of worship of work, to the one who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise look up church that 's what Paul is asking his people to do today. Look up two hundred and sixteen was such a beautiful verse. Um, telling us that we've been given the mind of Christ. That's awesome, right? Amen. We have been given the mind of Christ. Like, when you are spiritually awakened to the reality that you in of yourself cannot save you, when you are spiritually awakened to the reality that what Christ did for you, you cannot do for yourself, and so you are called to place your faith in the one who lived, died, and rose again as your eternal hope, when you do that, He puts His Spirit inside of you. And you are given the mind of Christ. And what we see here is that it's possible to not feed that mindset. What we see here is that it's possible to starve the mind of Christ, to starve the spiritual side of you, to take that which has been put in you and not feed it. But instead to live in light of your flesh, to live in light of the desires that you have been lifted from, to look back down to the filth that you've been called away from, and to not live in light of the faith that you've been called to walk in. And it's interesting when we focus on the mind of Christ that we have been given. I think we have to look and say, well, what was the mind of Christ focused on? And we know that from the life of Christ, that the mind of Christ was always set on the work that God has assigned him to do. When you look at Luke 2.49... We have a frantic Mary, right? They, they came to Jerusalem. Uh, they did the, the Passover thing. And now they're heading back to where they live. And all of a sudden, Mary looks around and says, where's Jesus? Where's? Anybody seen Jesus? When's the last time anyone has seen Jesus? Oh, I don't know, Mary. It's been a little bit. Oh my, right? So she goes on mom mode. Like It it happens when I'm at the mall and Jack is out of some containment device for three seconds. And she's like, where is Jack? Like It it always happens the same way. Not so much here. I just assume that all of you are watching him. And if you're not, can we just agree right now that when my son is loose, you're watching for him? He scares me. He should also scare you. Anyway... um, so he, she looks around and says, Where's Jesus? So she runs back into Jerusalem. She's checking at all of her friends' house that they visited. Nobody's seen Jesus. And finally, she ends up into the temple. And she sees him and, and, and kind of confronts him a little bit. So basically, Jesus, where have you been? And he looks at her and, and, and Luke chapter 2 and says, What do you mean? Don't you know that that I would have been in my father's house? And another rendering of that passage is, don't you know that I would have been about my father's business? Like, how could you have not thought that I would be here? Not out of disrespect to his mom, but out of like, mom, how, how do you not know that I'm operating in this wavelength? That this is who I am and what I am about. So from our, our earliest words of Jesus, we see that He is all about the work and the will of His Father. We see this most clearly depicted in Gethsemane, right? Jesus facing His death, knowing that His impending demise was just moments away. And what does He say? He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is really going to be painful. So if it's possible, could we do it another way? And yet, not my will, but your will be done. This was the mind of Christ. To be about the work of God. To be about the will of God. And why? We see in John 17, why? Look with me at verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words in the high priestly prayer. So this is one of the last... um, This is one of the last times we hear from Jesus at length. And so this is his prayer to the Father, knowing that his end was coming soon. He says, when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now God glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Point being, the mind of Christ was fully set on glorifying his Father by accomplishing that which he had called him to do. To have the mind of Christ. It's great to say that we have it. But you have the mind of Christ. Awesome! What does that mean? To have the mind of Christ is to be about the work of the Father. To be about carrying out the will of the Father. All for the honor and glory of the Father. And as Paul pointed out, this was not the mindset for the church in Corinth. My question for us today is, do we have this mindset? Guys, is this our mindset? because we can be giddy about chapter 2 we can be giddy for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus about being a spiritual people hey we see things that unbelievers don't see and and oh we we understand the, the things of scripture and man we're in a good bible teaching church and boy we we just must be this great spiritual people well guys these are realities that have been presented to us these have been these are realities that are open to us But is this a reality that we're feeding? Is this a reality that we're walking in? Is it a truth that we acknowledge or is it a truth that we are living? Because the faith that we have received is more than mere truth to be acknowledged. More facts to be, more than just facts to be believed, but it is a faith that we have been called to live in, to walk in. And when we don't, When we acknowledge with our lips the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but we do not live as though He is our Lord and Savior, we starve the very Spirit that He put inside of us. And the fruit that comes out of us is fruit that reflects reflects the old man that He died for, not the new man who was raised to walk in the newness of life that His death provided for us and His resurrection gifted to us. Where are we? Individually? Corporately? I love that we go to a church that preaches the word and preaches it hard i love that when i came and and i said hey i i don't really have any flashy curriculum i'm just going to kind of teach through the word everyone was just like praise the lord that's great there's not a lot of churches that are like that in the youth group they're like are you crazy you need to teach the 19 love languages or something and and instead when i came and said no we're going to walk through the word of god you're like yeah that's who we are and that's what we're about that's great that is great I know that we are a church that loves the Word of God, that validates the truth of Scripture, that validates the sufficiency of Scripture, that validates the fact that every word in here is God-breathed and given to us for a myriad of reasons. But what this passage tells us is that it is possible for us to know the truth, to confess the truth, to profess faith in the truth and yet to not walk in it. Similar to what we see in Colossians chapter 3, 2 where the where the faith that we have received it's possible to to receive it and yet not walk in it. And it's possible to know and to have believed in the saving work of Jesus with while not allowing the gospel to find its way into every aspect of who we are and how we live. Guys, I I can't even be the Holy Spirit for me. I certainly can't be Him for you. I can't tap into all these examples of how that might carry it out, but, but we have to do that work before God in fear and trembling and lay our lives before Him. And we are going to see that whether we do it here or whether we do it there, one day we are going to stand before our Creator with our lives on an altar and what is of Him will remain and what is not will be burned away. And you might think, great, you know what, at least I get in. Even if I get in with the smell of smoke on my duds, at least I'm in. That is not the mindset we have been called to have in Christ. We have been called to live lives in such a way that when we stand before our Creator, we say, I live for you as a spiritual act of worship, which is what you are worthy of in view of your grace, in view of your mercy, in view of what you did for me, and in view of the life that I live most often, I have to confess, I don't live that way. I get so focused. And you're there, well, it's got to be easy for you. You have a job in ministry. I mean, you come in on Sunday and you, you walk on water and then, and then you elevate into the clouds and you talk with Jesus and then you come back down and you heal the sick and you raise the dead and you're in ministry. It must be just this wonderful exchange between you and God all day long. Now, most days I come in and I look at a sticky note of a, of, of a to-do list. And I hop on my computer and I do those things. And it's so easy for me to just look at my life like this. What's right in front of me? And it's easy to look at people that God brings across my paths not as opportunities to reveal His character, to reveal His grace, to be an image bearer to this person in front of me, but to view them as an opposition to my sticky note, my to-do list. Boy, I know God brought you across my path for a reason, but I really got to get my expense reports in, so here we go. That's just one example of the many examples of what we do all day every day to ignore the greater reality that is ever before us because we have been enlightened to the truth of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one example of the myriad of ways that we live our lives in light of the scene and forget about the greater reality that we have brought into through Christ Jesus. We need to bring our lives before the throne and say, God, what what fruit is being produced in me? And that's really the best way. That's really the best way is to look at your life and say, what fruit is truly being produced in me? Is the person who I am to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my family, is the person that is being presented to the world around me, does it reflect that of the spiritual man? That of somebody who is different from the rest of the world around me? Or would everybody look at me and say, man, they're just, they're just the, the same as the lost and dying world? And again, I don't do this to say, are you saved? I do this to say, are we pressing into our sanctification? Are we pressing into our life in Christ in the way that we have been called to? Are we allowing the faith that we confess to be the life that we profess by the way that we live? Because if we're not, there's a problem. There's a problem for us individually, and there's a problem for us corporately. Because in order for us to be the church we've been called to be, in order for us to be the people we have been called to be, then we need to press into the spiritual realities and view our lives in light of them not ignore them that's what the rest of the world does right so again just a couple questions before um, i close do we live our lives with human eyes focused on this world and the things of it or are we about the things that we have been called to be about Do we operate as spiritual people living in light of spiritual realities of the unseen world? Or do we operate as the spiritually dead failing to connect our new life in Christ to everyday life that we live? And again, if we're not sure, we just simply must look at the fruit. Is it fruit that reflects faith that is being lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or does it reflect something else? Does it reflect fruit of the flesh? Now, Paul's solution... That he gives here, Paul's solution that he gives in, in Colossians is for us to turn our eyes upward, right? To look up. And I think sometimes we can acknowledge the truths and the realities of, of the unseen, of the spiritual world. We, we can acknowledge them, but, but a lot of times we don't, we don't view our lives in light of them. We don't live our lives in light of, um, man, what what awaits us at the end of our life. We don't live our lives in light of the power that is at work within us. We don't live our lives in light of the fact that one day we will stand before a judgment seat and give account for our lives and receive rewards based on how we live. Like we don't even like talk about that as Christians. It's like we're like, oh, I don't know, talk about rewards. Oh, that sounds a little. It's in there. And we're supposed to live our lives like we're going to receive them. We can't deny that. We're going to talk about that last week. Sorry, Stephen, wherever you are for stealing your thunder. But if we are not living in light of them, what are we living for? That's right. If we are not living in light of the things that Scripture calls us to live for, then what are we living for? To live in that way is not even to live biblically. And so we must. Matt Voenkel, you must look up. And live in light of these spiritual realities. One of the best chapters in all of Scripture that I feel does that for me, because again, I I I tend to live my life in terms of comfort. I want to be comfortable all the time. Um, I don't I don't want to be inconvenienced. I just want to be I just want to be comfortable. I want to know that I'll have enough food and that the AC will be set or the heat will be set at the right temp. And my my comfy sweatpants will always be washed, and I will always have whatever I want to drink or eat in the refrigerator. And just, uh, ugh, I just want that. And so I kind of live my life so often. When I start focusing on the scene, it's, ooh, how do I get back to that place of comfy? I even bought these new stretchy jeans. They're very comfy. We, we just decided, hey, me and a couple guys in the, in the youth group, decided these are like, leggy, like yoga pants for guys. They're just, they're the most comfortable things I've ever put on my body. Comfort. I don't want 100% cotton jeans. I want comfort jeans. They're great. <laughs> Those are the things that I tend to live in light of, and I try, and I tend to ignore the spiritual realities that are above us, that are before us, that are awaiting us. And Revelation 4 is one of those chapters where it's like, man, when you when you really stare intently at this, it's hard to ignore um, that there is that there are realities that are greater than us that should that should define us more than what they do, uh, that should transform us more than what they do. And so I'm about to read uh, John's John's vision of stepping into the throne room of God. And honestly, I want to read chapter 5 two, but I won't do it for you because that's a long time to hear me read. Not the best reader. Um, but John chapter 4 starts this picture. I encourage you, go read John chapter 5 two. And I know that sometimes when we read through Revelation, it's real easy. where It's like, ah, they're talking about horns again. They're talking about beasts with eyes. And I don't know what that means. And is that Rome or is that Greece? I don't really know. Blah, blah, blah. Stop. Let's just rise above the debate for a second and just get a vision of what is this is John God is showing him this the spirit is inspiring him to write this this picture of the throne room of God in human language should to, to 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 describe the divine good luck So we have these pictures that don't make sense to us. We have this beauty that is so far above us. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds of the debate. I just want you to look intently upon this scene. And take from it what you can. Because I think in it lies a view of God that I oftentimes miss in my day. And I elevate me above Him because I don't see in light of Him and who He really is. That wasn't even a real sentence. I'm just going to read Revelation chapter 4. You would think that I would have something there, but I don't. Starting in verse 1, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Can you imagine that? God gave you that vision one day? (sighs) Get out. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We can debate that later. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. Church, Hallelujah indeed. Church, we will one day stand before that throne. Some of us to give account of the lives that we live for him. Others to give account of why we never placed our faith in him. So wherever you're at today, this picture matters for you. Wherever you are at today whether one day you will worship before this throne, the one day your lives will be brought before Him to see what works were of Him and what works weren't, whether one day you will stand before Him to give an account of why you didn't place your faith in His Son to be the sacrifice that sufficiently paid for your sins, we will stand before this throne. This is real. This isn't some figment of John's imagination. This is him being led by God to a place That we will all one day be. And so our lives are to be lived in light of this reality. To be lived in light of the fact that one day our race will bring us to this place. Look up. And let's let the realities of the spiritual things that we have been called to, that we have been enlightened to, inform the way that we live our lives here. Not knowing how soon will come the day when Jesus puts his foot down on the mount or how soon will come the day where our lives will come to an end and we will be standing before him. Either way, let's live this day in light of that day and the one whom we will meet. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who does not know you, that today will be the day when they cry out to you and say, Lord, I am a sinner. And I confess my need for Jesus as my Savior. And I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. I make you first in my heart. God, I pray that that will be be said of every man, woman, and child in this room today who does not know you. But for the saints, for the brothers, for the believers, God, I pray that we would live in light of the beauty of who you are, of the beautiful realities that you have awakened us to, In Christ Jesus. And that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us as individuals and in us corporately that only you can do. That we would be a people passionate to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.